Welcome to The New Disruptors, a podcast which asks, if the wild calls, will you race to answer? I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman. This episode is brought to you in part by Disruptor-level patrons Charles Arthur, M.E. Ochterman, Nick Barajas, and Dylan Wilbanks. You can become a patron of the show at newdisrupt.org support on a one-time or recurring basis and get rewards like an exclusive enamel pin and being thanked in this fashion. Thanks to listeners for bringing back the new disruptors. On this episode, an old guest and a new one. Musician Marion Call appeared on the new disruptors back in October 2013. Her home was in Alaska, but she spent a lot of time away from it touring. With six more years under her belt, she's trying to stick closer to her community in Juneau. One of the reasons? Her husband, Pat Race, an illustrator, gallery owner, videographer, filmmaker, and part-time adult camp operator. Thanks to you both for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're so happy to talk to you again, Glenn. It's very exciting to have you all both together. And uh, I've, I've interviewed married couples before, uh, typically together because they're collaborating on the same project. But I was particularly interested in having you on the show because you have independent careers, you're charting your own path, you're living in, you know, let's say a difficult economic state, like uh, uh, both like maybe not personally, but more like I lived in Maine. I know a little bit about what it's like to live in a state that is sort of uh, rural and tied in, but long before the internet existed. And uh, and you're, you have different directions you're taking and some places those intersect. So I'd love to talk about, you know, both your independent careers, which you've been following for years and years uh, yourselves, and then how you make a life uh, together as independent uh, artists and creators. Yeah, I think that uh, difficult economic state works on multiple levels. Yeah, um, sure. We're, we're definitely. I, I do feel like we're collaborators, though. Like I don't. I, as much as we work on different projects, I we constantly refer to one another as our our other brain because we're. I don't know. I I, I lean heavily on Marion for advice, and I think it goes both ways. Oh, absolutely. I don't think there's a day going by when we're not talking to each other about the projects we're working on. Like when, when Pat's doing a new illustration or a new movie or a new uh, uh, anything, a new anything, um, we wind up talking about it most nights or most mornings. And uh, the same is true of the songs I'm writing. I'm asking him, what, where could this verse go if I, if the chorus is this, but I don't know exactly how to tie into that or where I'm going to go to get more specific in the verses. And he'll tell me. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely, we're definitely collab- collaborators. It's like, uh, it's a one big project that we're working on called Life. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> that's very pretty. It's the artist nest. <laughs> that's excellent, and I know that your work uh, it kind of flows together too. Because uh, Marion, sometimes you appear in videos. Uh, uh, Pat, sometimes uh, you're running camps that I know Marion is involved with. And uh-huh. um, maybe we should start this whole conversation. There's like a bunch of. Um, I mean, I've known you all for for years now, and I get to see you. Uh, on occasion, when you come to Seattle at uh, uh, Emerald City Comic Con and other things, and um, I, you know, I, I love both your work. That's a great reason to have people on a show is because you say, "Hey, I want to appreciate what you do." I think you're both just really talented and interesting people uh, to know and to to follow your careers. Um, and I uh, I appreciate how much you talk about how you make your work without making that the focus of your work. And so maybe we should start with what you each do, because you both, I mean, I think, Marion, your career is maybe more explainable in a conventional fashion, but the details <laughs> are very complicated. And Pat, you do a lot of different things, which I'm very, again, very familiar with, having lived in Maine, about how one makes a living in a state like Maine or Alaska. Uh, when do you want to start about, like, what, what are the kind of range of things you work on? 
I think it would be funny if we described what each other does. Sure. Yeah. Do you, you want to? <laughs> do you want to start, or shall I? Oh, that's great. I suppose so. When I first met Pat, I asked him, "What do you do?" And he said, "Uh." <laughs> um, and one thing that's really true in in a place like Alaska or Maine or somewhere side of outside of the Maine so-called creative cities is uh, sometimes you have to be a Swiss army business. And that's how Pat described himself to me. And that made so much sense when I got to Juneau, which is a town of uh, some over 30,000 people and realized that he fills a whole bunch of roles here and a whole bunch of roles when he goes outside into the larger world. He makes uh, short films. He's made political satire for a long time. He also does gorgeous documentaries and sometimes just goofy shorts. He's made some of my music videos. Um, and that's only one part of his life. He also runs the local comic shop and art gallery here and hosts incredible illustrators from around the globe uh, in shows in Juneau and is very good at bringing them into our local schools and speaking to our local adult artists, too. So sort of a community enrichment element every time he brings someone awesome to Alaska uh, from all sorts of like Eisner winning folks to people just starting out in their careers. He has a good eye for who is about to take off and invites them to hang out with us up here and fry fish and uh, and go hiking and talk to our local school kids. Uh, out of that, he developed a convention, which is a part convention for our community, just a, a illustration and comics convention, independent comics, mostly in small press. And uh, then it's a pro retreat where we go off into the woods with a bunch of uh, comics artists and other illustrators and uh, artists of all kinds, writers, uh, video game designers, and go spend time talking about the big questions in art. Um, he also uh, makes incredible enchiladas <laughs> and uh, and does some like uh, web design, has done some programming, a whole bunch of things, lots of hats. And, and you make, and there's one thing you miss, which is you make great I voted buttons that are the envy of the rest of the country, according to <laughs> articles in various publications. Yeah, True. that was fun. Yeah, that was a good project <laughs> to work on. Uh, yeah, so uh, filmmaker, illustrator, many other things. Uh, let me let me talk about Marion for a second. Um, let's see. Marion is a musician. Okay, done. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> Marion is, is an amazing, amazing musician who has worked on uh, both... Uh, a a range and depth of projects that is, is very impressive uh got her start in sort of the myspace era of the internet uh doing what was kind of um a fandom piece uh, built around firefly and then kind of hitched into the uh comics adjacent world or, or pop culture adjacent world um but then has uh has made uh gosh i actually i was just on uh, I just went on her Bandcamp page and and was counting up these songs. She has like over a hundred tracks on Bandcamp, and many of the I think it was over a hundred and seventy, and many of them are are originals. I think she has probably about eighty original songs on there. And um, what is it? How many albums are you at now? Ten, ten albums. Ten albums. Yep. Yeah. So she's done <laughs> ten albums. Some of those are like studio produced albums, and some of them are a little bit like rough around the edge or live uh, performances and things like that. Um, a couple cover song albums, but she's done she's done a really good job of being a uh, kind of a no label indie musician who is her own boss and and own worst employee. And she um, <laughs> she makes she she has an incredible f a group of uh, of uh, fans and friends. Like it's 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 really kind of a big family that she's coalesced. Um, I went I got to travel with her to Europe on one of her European tours, and it just it blew me away to see how 
deep these connections were that she'd forged with people that she had either never met or only talked to over the internet and uh, how inviting they were to have her have her visit them and I just got to tag along and see what her life is like on these various tours um, both inside the states and outside and she would just go you'd go and you'd set up a show and it would be like a house concert or at like a little comic shop or something and generally audiences are probably like 20 to 50 people is kind of the like the range I think that most of the shows are and then uh and then you you she would do the show and it would be great and then everyone would hang out and they'd have a bunch of food that they brought and we'd all talk and maybe the person made swords and we'd get to like sword fight or maybe the person was like a board game designer and we get to like play a board game and there's always some weird unique amazing experience attached to one of her shows and then and then we'd uh and then we'd kind of pile in the car and go sleep somewhere and then and then drive the next day and do it all again or take a train the next day and do it all again. And it just, like, her life was this interesting string of concerts for a long time. And, um, you know, it, it, it was really good, but it started becoming hard on her, I think, to... Um, to spend so much time both away from home, from this idea of home, and... Um, and just, you know, physically being in a car that much is like, it can be pretty hard on your body. And so, um, as she's kind of rearranged her life in the last, gosh, in the last year or so to focus a little bit more on being here in Juno. And she's really leaned into the community. She's written music for one of the, we have the only professional theater company in town. She's written music for that. And she's, uh, put together a bunch of different choirs and projects. She was just singing at a gospel choir over the weekend. And uh, before that, she was in the folk festival and she was part of this amazing ensemble of, of all women uh, called Queens. And she was uh, she was in a Casablanca interactive movie musical thing that's very hard to describe. <laughs> but um, like it's it's and she's also started this open mic night here in Juneau that um, runs for kind of an eight week stint at a time, usually just in the, in the fall and, and winter because it's, uh, everyone's outside and running around in the summertime. But, um, it's, it's a great little like incubator for, for musicians to try things out and, and everyone's there to listen and support each other. And it's got kind of a, a nice family atmosphere. Um, so she's, uh, I think she's trying to figure out how to make music work in a different way. And she's always been trying to do that. Like even, from the beginning when she first uh when she she first became a musician and cobbled her living together with like a, a spreadsheet and a and paypal and a couple donors and you know uh and, and now she's trying to figure out what the next thing is for music now in the in the era of spotify and and uh, you know no, no one buys a cd anymore because they don't have a cd player and so what is what does it look like to be a musician is kind of a a big looming question for her but she very much is one and and is always making wonderful things I love this introducing each other thing. This was beautiful. And uh, <laughs> this reminds me uh, of all these follow-up questions now provoked by this. But one of them is, uh, Marion, you told me once this horrifying thing. I have to repeat it. And I'm sure you've said it since. Oh, no. But it has guided my artistic life since. I will tell you. Oh, quite wow. <laughs> so here it is. You said, uh, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm sure it was, I'm competing against all music ever recorded. Something like that, right? Oh yes, I've said I think that a lot. Not just music. I'm 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 I wouldn't say competing exactly, but when a person goes home at the end of their day, uh they have 
access now to not just a little bit of music being made right now. They have access to everything ever recorded. They have access to all the TV ever, all the, all the prestige TV. Like, yeah. uh, I, I can't place too many demands on people's attention knowing that they have literally every option in the world and maybe you're a little content exhausted and just want to play candy crush i don't know you know <laughs> i it's that's the that's the field that we're putting content out into which i think is simultaneously a call not to take myself too seriously um or to place too many demands on my audience to just trust them to uh, find me when they need me and trust that if they need something else that's okay uh, it's also a call to content excellence i think that i better do something head turning if i expect to turn any heads you know the direction i took it that i think uh pat you may have some insight into this as well is uh because i don't demand attention i don't create a thing like you i've tried to find things that no one has ever created before <laughs> because then i might be the only thing in a space that no one that doesn't isn't filled even if it's a tiny niche as long as i can find the right people and, and Pat, I don't know if that fits. I mean, I think about the uh, the comic camp in particular because it's uh, unique in time and place and nature. But uh, but also, I don't know if other aspects of your career are finding things that aren't uh, necessarily contending for people's time in the same way. I mean, music. I think you're right, Marion. I think it has to. People have to take time out for it, or choose it, and select it. And so you're you're working to be in that mix. Yeah, but also, I mean, there's that whole like idea of. You know, I, I hate the you know the long tail, right? So there's there's all these n niches and subgenres, and there's but I think that there is a you know it's kind of a, that's a weird way of thinking of classifying things. But Marion creates music for a select group of people who are who she's kind of grown to know over the years. Like the, a lot of the music she makes is for a certain person, and when you hear it, you know, it's for you and it, it means so much more, mm. more. And so like, yeah, the comics camp is, is a, is, you know, in a way it's a piece of art that I create for 75 people. It's like, and it's a, an experiential, um, thing. And so, yeah, I guess it's, it, it's less about trying to be the loudest and more about trying to give something meaningful to people. And there's a community aspect to it, too, that is hard to overrate. Like, you're right. It is about the connection I have with the people that I've found. It's also about, like, finding the keyhole that fits the key of the thing you're making, you know? And that's mm. not going to be everyone, but it doesn't need to be everyone. I see this with when we take Pat's illustration down to um, Emerald City Comic Con or San Diego Comic Con. We go and we exhibit some of the prints and some of the artwork he makes, which is very much artwork of place. It's very based in Alaska. It's very about... Alaskan experience for the most part and you know not every there's not a ton of Alaskans down there although those who are tend to gravitate to us but you <laughs> see uh, you know a thousand people walk by and not really glance and then you see someone come by and they're like oh, this is exactly my thing I love bears <laughs> that are cute and yet somehow emotionally <laughs> resonant with me and and you found the keyhole you found the person who fits exactly the thing you're making I, I want to ask about Juno where this fits in because uh, you know you talk about the sense of place and and I, I've been to Juno once uh, from a cruise ship, uh, not a super giant cruise ship, but the, I guess, relatively small giant cruise ships of 2002. Uh, so I you know, took a, a one-week cruise, and uh, my fiancé, now wife, um, and I went to a few Alaskan towns. And we would try to walk beyond that first street, you know, get to a second or third street um, <laughs> past the wharf so we could get a little bit of something and talk to people and, and uh, maybe go on a hike and go on a glacier or something. Um, but, you know, Juno, I think... It seems, uh, unless I'm mistaken, it is unique or nearly unique in the 
mainland and or contiguous United States plus Canada in um, being a city that is so unreachable in many ways, right? You have to get there by boat or plane and maybe snowcat. Can you go over the uh, the snowpack maybe in, <laughs> in certain cases? But but you can't drive there. And, uh, you know, Hawaii is like that, I realize. And there's a, a few other very remote places. But Juneau, to me, I think it's the biggest city that's, you know, connected to the North American continent that is isolated in that way. Um, so I imagine it's got a lot of unique properties because of that. But you have such a, the things you describe happening in a small community are just amazing. It's an isolated place, but it's not really that, like, isolated. You can fly here from Seattle in a couple hours. It's, you know, it's easier to get here from Seattle than it is to get to like Chicago, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's quicker. Mm-hmm. So, so if you're West Coast in it, we're not that far. Yeah, it's I, I think that it does feel that way when you're here. It, it it I mean, we're definitely a little bit of an outpost, it feels like, but there are places in Alaska that are so much more remote. And like I grew up yeah. here, so I don't really have, you know, another experience. But I, I feel like, you know, Juno is for me, Juno's normal and when <laughs> I go out to very rural places, like I I just went out to my cabin for a week and and, you know, I spent 24 hours without seeing another human being. So that's like a different kind of remote. You know, I saw more bears and, and deer than I saw humans. And like, that's like, that's remote to me. And so I don't know. I mean, I think that there's, you get a, a there is a sense of place here in Juneau. We've got a very good community. I think some of the isolation creates like a, um, you know, it creates a little bit of a bubble that sometimes is hard to get out of, but it's also creates kind of an insulation, uh, insulating uh, effect, like where everyone here is very supportive and you've got to kind of all get through the winter together. So you do these projects and everyone comes out like Marion's open mic is, is a great example of that, where everyone comes out and supports this thing. And maybe they're not into whatever type of music is playing, but they're going to come out because it's like an event and we're doing it ourselves. And it's, it's much more fun to engage in your community than it is to like sit at home and, you know, watch the, you know, watch Logan's run. (laughs) (laughs) Which is what we chose to do the other night when we were tired out. Uh, um, I was going to say, it was very specific. Yeah. uh, Well, I just, I I left that robot in there. I got, (laughs) he just jumped into my head, right? (laughs) I was thinking about (laughs) plankton from the sea. Yes. (laughs) I like that people here really don't wait for any kind of permission or any kind of blessing to do a brand new weird thing. They just do it. Like it's, there's no, uh, there's not much hierarchy in the art scene here or in the business scene. It's like, if you want to start a business, you just start a business. And if you want to put on a program that is a brand new interactive, like theater event with a band and a meta commentary about a movie that is followed by a screening of the movie where you ask the entire audience to dress up and they get their tickets stamped by Nazi guards at the door. Like you can just do that. And we did. And it was was about Casablanca and it was one of the greatest theater events I've ever been part of, but people just kind of put it together as on a volunteer basis. And it was like the hit of the winter. Um, There's really no ceiling on, there's no one telling, you no. there's no one in your way. There's no one taking up all the resources you would need to do something innovative. And as a result, we get a lot of innovation here. Um, And I think people, I think that other artists and makers of things and innovators are catching on to the fact that you don't need to be in Seattle or LA or Austin or New York to do exciting things you can be in one of these secondary cities you can be somewhere that's an extra flight away like i mean it's it's a lot like being in spokane or like being in boise or something you know and and a lot of those kind of secondary cities have so much going on sometimes even so much more going on because there's no kind of 
top-down pressure that keeps innovative voices out or that squeezes them out or that makes it impossible for them to afford to live there. Like that, I, I think that the interesting stuff happening now, a lot of it is happening in these kind of outside places. Well, interesting stuff's happening everywhere, but I love, True. I, I love um, the voices that come from remote places. Like Kate Beaton's one of my favorite, mm-hmm. favorite artists and, and comics artists. And she, uh, she and I have talked a lot about living in at kind of you know the edges of uh, you know it's it's still it's still civilization it's still a community it's still a city but it's also way the heck out there and you know she lives in Cape Breton and um, and it's uh, you know it's a, it's a different experience and we had a we had a kind of an informal panel once when we just sort of talked about what's it like to not live in a city and try to be an artist for a living. And it was really interesting to, you know, to the kind of questions that came from people who had only ever lived in a city of like, how can, how is it even possible that you could do that? Um, but, but I think there's a, there's a demand in a small place just as much as there is in a large place for the kind of, of things that an artist does. It's just that you have to be a little more flexible. Like Marion described my business as a Swiss army business. And it definitely mm-hmm. started out as like, you know, we're a Swiss army knife media company. Some guy walked in the door and needed DVD duplication and we did that. And then the next guy needed a website and we did that. And the next guy needed something, uh, needed a short film made. And then it kind of eventually evolved into being able to pick and choose our clients a little more, but it was, it really sort of just grew out of being able to put on a lot of hats and and be able to help people in a lot of different ways. And I mean, <laughs> I even spent time shoveling people's boats off when they got full of snow in the winter time. And it was so. I think that you you live a you get a broad experience in a small community, but by by virtue of there not being a lot of depth. And so you can't just hang out with animators. You can't just hang out with comics people. You can't just hang out with people in your field. You're hanging out with electricians and brewers and uh, plumbers. And, you know, I, I mean, all these people that I went to high school with live here. And it's just, you know, every every walk of life, I feel like I'm very connected to. Well, and I wonder, I'm really interested about the, the Internet's role and maybe kind of the money conduit role the Internet provides that is relatively new. I lived in uh, in Maine in the early 90s for a couple of years, and um, I had a, a relatively well-paying job. It was kind of an outpost of Kodak, which is its whole own story there, teaching digital imaging to people very, very early on. And uh, But everybody I knew who lived in, in Camden, Maine, it was uh, you know, a resort town in the summer, but uh, the other nine plus months uh, had multiple jobs, right? Everyone has, a, as you discuss, uh, my friend Dave was an electrician and a phone installer and then became an internet installer and had a, a camp that he rented out and kept mm-hmm. up and he had another business and another business and a boat. And, you know, you had to do that to make a living. And, and I think all the people I knew, like this, this is uh, post uh the demise of factories in Maine. So shoe factory production had left. A lot of stuff had moved on. And people to just to kind of keep everything together and live the semblance of a, a middle class life with a place to live and a little bit of comfort, but not a lot, had all these jobs. And it wasn't necessarily they worked 100 hours a week, but they had a lot of different things they had to do. Uh, there was no internet pipe for money. You could not be an artist in Maine and sell your stuff online. You had to travel to New York or Boston or something like that. And I, I think it must have been since you grew up in you know you must have saw, seen this more profoundly. I'm not sure, but you know how does that affect you when money can reach you for things you do? Uh, you know, I mean, there's always you could send sell stuff over the mail. I realize you could ship things U.S. postage and so forth, but but when you have a a forum of the entire rest of the world to sell to, whether it's music or art or, or electronic delivery or physical. Does that change the ability to be in this small community to, and to, for the community to thrive? 
I, I don't know that it fundamentally changes it. Like I, I was thinking back about, I, I do this illustrated map of downtown and that's something mm. that I, I've collected over the years. A lot of other illustrated maps of downtown Juno, And, you know, there were amazingly talented graphic designers who came before me and, and made a career here in Juno. Um, and they just had to serve more local interests. You know, they had to do mm. more local work. And so I have the opportunity to sell my work outside of Juno, which is nice and does bring some money in. But, but I think there is a, a um, you know, it, it opens up this market. At the same time, the internet makes a pipeline to, to, for me to bring money in. It also makes a pipeline for other people to just bring work in. You know, you can go on Fiverr or whatever and get your logo made or, or yeah. you know, so it, so at the same time, it undercuts some pricing and, and, you know, you're not as exclusive. Like if you need a graphic designer, you don't have to rely on me. You can, you can get someone in Chicago to do it or, or somewhere down the trail there. And, and, uh, yeah, I guess it's, it's, it's broadens it in, in on both sides. It's not just the, the income that you can make the competitions broader too. Yeah. And you're competing with automated services and templates and, and, and canned music and, and easy licensing for any song you ever wanted. Like it's not, uh, it's not just, yeah, it's it's not. I think it's not that simple. I want to push back on the idea that all the opportunity just happened when the internet occurred, mm-hmm. because like I love talking to the people here who have been professional musicians their entire lives without ever leaving town. Like there have been full time musicians in Juneau and in Anchorage where I used to live, and in all the cities I visit. And they, a lot of them, are very offline, and they gig, and they get phone calls, and they go play the show, and then they go play another show, and they're in three bands, and that's just how they do. Like th- yeah. those economies have been disrupted, maybe less. Than and we imagine if we look and if we remember to look at the not extremely online crowd, uh, that's you, not you to undercut think the opportunity. Tom. Like there's this guy yeah. in, in town who plays piano and he just plays piano all the time everywhere. You know, you find, you see him at the pioneers home and then you see him at like at the ice cream social and then you see him at some chamber of commerce thing. And he's just, there's that guy playing the piano and he's, he's making it work in a very non internety way. And I feel like that's kind of the traditional, like what used to work here is like, if you were a musician, you would just serve the community. Well, and every time we have like a big, uh, community craft fair, I bet you had something like this somewhere in the region of Maine that you were in. When we have a big community craft fair, there are artists of incredible skill who come together and they set up their booth and everyone comes and buys their Christmas oh, yeah. presents. And like that still, that still goes on. And that is not new. Um, some of what they can do with a Glowforge now is new. Um, but, uh, but it's really, um, I think that as, as, as we're pulling back from the, uh, oh my God, the internet is changing absolutely everything, uh, sort of shock and awe. I think we're starting to, and maybe this is just aging for me personally too, and like getting perspective, talking to more people, learning more, getting humbler. Uh, I'm learning that there are ways in which it changed everything. And there are a lot of ways that we're the same old people and some of these art economies have gotten tougher in just as many ways as they've gotten easier. And I shouldn't say that too loudly because I still am completely reliant on my internet fan base for my income. Like it'll probably be a few years of plowing in the community here before I could make a full-time living as a musician here. That's something that doesn't happen overnight, investing in a community. And the community in Juno does feel a little bit unusual compared to the experiences of like in-person neighborhood community that people have in other cities right now. Um, so that is a little bit unique and, and part of why I love Although being you, here. You know, I think you emphasize, I, I'm actually, I'm, uh, it's fantastic the pushback because I love to hear this because since I haven't lived in a small town for so long, I, I don't know what it's like. And although as you say this too, I hear glimmers of things in Seattle. There are these, uh, 
guys and gals who play piano or play music at like retirement homes here. They just make the circuit of there's a thousand retirement homes in the Seattle area. So it's a small, mm-hmm. small town in itself, right? And that's all they do. I mean, they may play piano at some bars and things too, but but they just go and do performances day after day and different schedules at all these places. And that's their job. And that job doesn't require the internet. Maybe they do some calendaring and booking that way. Um, but as you say that, I bet if I scratch the surface here, I would find all of those economies of things that I think have disappeared or that have become, uh, yeah. you know, but, but I, I think there's also this, um, intense interest you describe in seeing things in person. So given that Juno has the internet and you could do, you know, watch any of uh, of the wonderful, you know, there's a million hours of TV being produced today, apparently right now, and you could just spend all your time doing that. But people apparently in your town, it sounds like disproportionately maybe want to get out and see other people and hang out, especially maybe in those, I, I remember the long winter months in Maine when you, the roads might be frozen and you wanted to see other human beings as well. Uh, does, I, I don't know, I should say the surprise, it's not surprising to me, but I find it really heartening that you have that uh, that intense interest in in making connections and having performing and visual and other and, and random arts. Yeah, I mean, I think that's embedded in the arts. Arts are communication. Uh, like we're curious people, we're humans, and we we want to connect. We there's something unsatisfying about like watching a show and getting done with it and just like being alone and not having someone to unpack it with. And so, like even even that kind of when when you go into a movie theater, you sit in a dark room and you watch like this flickering screen, but it, but you want to have someone to talk about the film with afterwards, you know, you don't, you aren't, I, or you want to think about it with other people and some, you want to contextualize the experience, I think. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I think about when I was a kid, this, this comic convention we do, we bring all these people into town and, and when I was a kid in Juno, the opportunity to get out of town wasn't really there. You know, like we were kind of like middle class, lower middle class. It's very expensive to fly out of Juno. And so we would go on maybe a family trip every once in a while, but we didn't go to anything that like I really wanted to do as a kid. You know, we didn't go, we didn't go to a whole bunch of big adventure things. Um, you know, and so, um, the kids here aren't like flying out to go to Comic-Con unless they have, unless they have a lot of wealth. And so it's nice to bring people in and they can like experience that here in like a little small, um, bite-sized thing. And so, I don't know, I think it's, people want to, want to have an experience. I think they want to, they want to share that. Yeah. I, I love to, for you to talk about, uh, the comics camp. I have, uh, um, unfortunately avoided going twice, even though I'm not a cartoonist, I've, I've attempted to go twice and have been thwarted by my own. Uh, circumstances from attending, um, but uh, it sounds it's uh, it sounds like a great gathering, and it's kind of like a meta thing in that um, you're helping other people find a milieu and create their communities and strengthen ties and make new connections. It seems really wonderful, uh, but as you describe what Juno is, it feels like your comic camp is trying to make Juno in small for cartoonists. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's yeah, it's a chance for people to get together in the same room and talk about things and get comfortable and and be human. And I think that uh, you got to a convention and it's so weird to interact with someone across the table, like where commerce is being done and you have all these like awkward interactions and you maybe see a friend for a drink. And so uh, we wanted to just make a, you know, an intentional space for people to get to know each other and to play some board games and hang out and maybe have a beer. And it was, uh, it's been a good, good thing to do. Yeah. I like that you examined the experience of going to big conventions like Emerald city and San Diego and, uh, I'll help table at these or I'll do my own performances at them. Uh, 
and we spend four days selling things for 12 hours a day and you know your feet are exhausted and and everyone you love is there all these other artists and creators and curators and you have just an hour or two to talk maybe and it's impossible to get everyone in the same place and it's hard to get a reservation and nobody can afford dinner and you you're all dead on your feet and there's so much pressure you know it's really hard to socialize but that's also crucial time to share information to bond to share everything from how you what software are you using right now to how are you funding yourself to what people in the industry are safe and which people are unsafe to how are you dealing with the current kerfuffle right all that discussion is so important and and so is just sitting around shooting the breeze and not saying anything important but that time is so precious and so rare at big conventions so pat took that dynamic of you know four days of selling and a couple hours of hang time and (laughs) reversed it to one short day of convention and four days of offline hang time with no phones and it's produced some really i think beautiful results Marianne, and tied in with this too is your desire to be in Juno more. And it uh, seems like uh, when we talked in 2013, I have this recollection that you were hoping to spend less time on the road the next year. And I don't think that worked out exactly. And uh, <laughs> right. And so for somebody who your home base has been Juno for a long time, um, but you've spent so many hundreds of nights out on the road, seemingly by necessity. That's how you're building your career. How are you transitioning? Uh, how are you, you know, was was that time necessary to to build the audience or to make connections that now that you can practice? Or do you, are, are you ch- changing your nature? You're talking about trying to, you know, uh, settle in more and have more uh, uh, local work and local experience. I mean, what what is this transition going to be like for you? it's lumpy. (laughs) It's lumpy. Um, I've been home mostly for a year and a half ish. Uh, Pat and I got married in uh, what, two years ago. And then I immediately went off on a six month (laughs) tour of the whole, of the whole everywhere. And it kind of felt like not, not the last hurrah because I am continuing to tour, but the last time I'm going out for six months and just going everywhere right now, I'm going out in targeted appearances for a week, for two weeks, and then coming back home. Um, And that is so different. Traveling that much was absolutely necessary to build my career, to cement relationships. But I maybe underrated while I was in the middle of it, how much it's something I just loved to do. Like I, if, if work affords you this opportunity to go places, like I can't really afford to travel outside of work. So I would just go work everywhere I wanted to go. And in the same neighborhood as everyone I wanted to see, that was one of the amazing things about, about having this kind of like flexible music career where I can do a show anywhere in any room. Um, it was pretty magic and I know that it's not over yet, but it definitely feels like a new phase being home. So there's been a lot of uh, emotional ups and downs to, to realizing I'm in the same place for five weeks in a row. And at one point that was genuinely something I hadn't done yet to be in judo for like two months in a row. (laughs) I'm remembering a conversation we had of the, the dawning, the slow dawning realization of like, Oh my gosh, I think I know why I'm like bummed out right now. People aren't clapping for me oh every night. God. Oh my god! Oh wow! And it was like it was like oh, that's really well. That was uh, really there were cute. T- there were two blows to the oh ego. One is that people are not clapping for me every night, or you know, a third of my nights of my year. And the other is to realize that my ego wanted that, oh, and that's really wow. embarrassing. But it's just I'm a. Uh, have you done enneagram stuff? 
No. No. Oh, okay. Um, I'm I'm just a personality who enjoys uh, praise and applause, and I don't mean to be that way. I try very hard not to be a diva, but realizing that it is like you built your life around it for a reason is a little bit humbling. And figuring out how to live after it uh, without kind of getting down and depressed and schmumpy uh, is also a little bit humbling. But this year's definitely been better than last year. <laughs> I think it's good for listeners to realize, too, that, you know, you did a, a variety of touring. And when we first talked years ago, uh, it was a lot of, uh, you know, living rooms, small venues and so forth. And that changed over time. I know you did larger and smaller, but you were often staying with people. So when you say you could go into a neighborhood, you were literally, literally staying with people who you might perform a, a concert in their house that you know that night and oh, that's yeah. a that's a very intimate way to meet people being in a living room or, or literally staying in their their house and it's so it's a different style of travel than if you were booked into a hotel room and it's a tour and you know i see some schedules for people who are um mm-hmm. you know musicians who are uh, they're, they're playing venue after venue after venue and i'm like man that that seems relentless but they don't even meet people along that either because they're in a hotel every night and so maybe there's a richer financial <laughs> reward sometimes i'm not sure when i read the the mechanics and uh Oh no, I don't. I don't yeah, think so. But exactly. I, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know if they make at the end of the day more money or whatever. But the bills are paid for differently. Yeah. But but every everything is a loss leader. Jeez, oh, isn't that yeah. terrible? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, but if your music is a loss leader for touring, your touring is a loss leader yeah. for music. I want to know how the math works. As does. Oh, I volume. know a lot of bands who get into that trap. Make up the difference in volume. Make up the difference in volume. Make up the difference in crowdfunding. But, but I only uh, bring up that point because when you talk about <laughs> you know people not applauding for all tonight, it's also uh, it's clear to me if I can de- like shallowly psychoanalyze what you're saying too is that you you have this desire <laughs> for connection. You're a gregarious. Out- I've, I've met you both. You're both very outgoing people. Known you for years. I'm a gregarious person. Maybe you can tell. And uh, that connection that you made with people, that's part of what you were looking for, too, though, is that you had this person, not just the applause. Oh, absolutely. There is a magic uh, kind of conversation you have with someone you have barely met or don't know very well, but you're like, oh, you're you're a cool, smart person. We can hang. And you have one of those until 3 a.m. conversations yeah. about life, the universe, and everything, or about their recent breakup with someone you have no idea who. And, you know, that or about politics or about art and and that kind of like midnight dorm room conversation I think a lot of us leave behind in our youth and I feel very lucky to have found it in a lot of other parts of my life and I I just love that it's maybe my favorite thing and I've made some like we had some friends uh, come to our wedding from overseas because my relationship with them blossomed from back and forth on Twitter to doing a house concert to staying up all night talking to to hanging out for days talking to museum going and then you know they just felt so close it was like you got to come to our wedding and then they did and it was a blast they came all the way to Alaska and those those really special conversations with almost strangers I think give you a chance to see yourself in relief and to see other people free of context and it is like I mean for those of us who can't afford therapy it's it's a really special form of connection I, I do make this connection now between the comics camp which is fostering a lot of these you know even though it's ostensibly about the craft of cartooning and meeting other cartoonists and and I know there's you know there's an agenda of sorts but it's a lot of it is bringing people together who you know it's the human angle it's not like you're going for a conference agenda um, the early XOXOs were like that I think it got bigger it had mm-hmm. changed its nature but the first year there were 400 people in the next year 500 and even at that size uh 500 people i met you know uh, hundreds of people who i'm in loose content you know some of them closer some became good friends some are looser and then marion your touring experience 
sounds like this as well. Maybe this is all of our desire. And now I'm having this conversation with you. Marion, you came into my living room when we couldn't find a place to record. And we recorded back in 2013. <laughs> and we became friends from having a conversation like this. So maybe my podcast is, again, another attempt to have 3 a.m. conversations at, at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, but but all this ties in, I think, with this desire to connect. I think all, both of your your uh, art and your outreach, um, the work in your community and and where you go and who you contact with, it's um, it, all of it is so much connection. It's, you know, and it's expressed in different ways, but you have you both have so much interest in in being with people. And not all artists obviously have that. And, um, and not all people who live in remote places ever want to see another human being. So that may make you both unique, uh, even if you're not unique in your own communities in that way. Yeah, I, and I think even some of the artists who don't like to be around people are ultimately communicating or reaching out or or making things for people. You know, it's and so maybe there's a safe barrier of distance there, but it's it's ultimately about connection and communication. And so, yeah, I, absolutely, I think friends is a good goal. Friends is a goal. Friends. Yeah, I like friends that. Friends is nice. Friends is a goal, and I think even a lot of very introverted. Uh, artists and creators of things and the you know you spend time as much time online as I do and it's like oh everyone's an introvert except me uh, <laughs> but but I think even even a lot of those very introverted people are looking for real connection in to the degrees that you can have it in a safe way a way that feels safe and comfortable and we see a lot of of pretty hardcore introverts really blossom at comics camp where it is a very safe space to connect and where we have ways to connect facilitating you know whether it's doing physical crafts or just making space that's open enough for quieter people to have a chance to chat or um beach walks whatever uh and online they're kind of equivalent safe spaces that people are making whether it's private chats or secret hashtags or second like secret twitter um and finding those safe spaces in those communities is is a reasonable barrier it's a reasonable way to surround yourself with a layer of safety that makes that community possible i think people are still reaching for that community i I, one thing that i really like about marion's big tours is that she has this uh kind of a unique cross-section of uh, of a view of our country well and, and kind of even of the world um where she's visited all these places like she plays this little game where whenever she meets someone she can kind of pick, pick out the oh yeah i've been to that <laughs> coffee shop that you like in, in your in your community but but also she i i she's been talking about maybe writing i don't know if this will happen but she she wants to maybe write a book about one of her tours and she she toured the united states during the during the, the recession and she's toured it since and she's seen all of these things um you know it, being in all of these living rooms is really eye-opening and uh i feel like she's got a neat web there a mental web of yeah. what people think of things yeah, yeah just kind of what our country is doing and it's interesting to see that snapshot like fed back to you like you've been out communicating with people but you sort of accidentally got communicate you know you oh, sort yeah. of learned I accidentally all of these. learned a lot about the economy of indiana like yeah. it's you know <laughs> it's a it's a funny thing it's a funny knowledge base to have that's like it would be useless if we didn't live in the time when we live when it is like uh, when you can connect to someone in Indiana, when you can talk to, you know, friends around the world, and it is useful to have these a thousand points of connection that are real, you know, that are authentic. I think that authenticity is something that people are always hungry for and having it on offer, even if the internet is a very loud place. And even if every bit of recorded history is available right now, uh, that authenticity, uh, 
is still pretty luminous and attractive. And you get to uh, go beyond the filter, right, of what might be available online because you've actually been talking to actual human beings and in informal settings, not in deeply formal ones. Uh, you get a very different insight about, about people uh, than you could otherwise. And I mean, that's something it seems like you're bringing back to your community as well, is that you have taken these insights from being out and about and not that your community is full of sheltered people, but it is true that you're, you've traveled more widely than most people have. So you, you get to bring back uh, uh, more of that experience and, and represent it in the community that you want to live in, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat, I wanted to congratulate you on your Eisner Spirit of Comics nomination before we go, because uh, I know that's kind of a neat thing as well. Um, you've got a, a, a longitudinal history with comics in a lot of different ways, and uh, it's very exciting to see you recognized for that. Yeah, it's pretty neat. I don't know if it's like, I don't actually even know if it's a big deal. I don't know if they nominate like 5,000 comic shops around the world or if it's just like five or 10 or whatever, but I'm very excited about it. And we're, we're, yeah, we're, it's, it's an honor. It's, well, it's a reason to go to Juno. Clearly, there's lots of reasons to go to Juno, not by cruise ship, uh, if, if you can help it, I guess. But although, again, I was on a smaller of the giant cruise ships, so it was a little bit nicer. But uh, uh, yeah, if the, you're coming through on a cruise ship, just tweet one of us and we'll tell you where to go and where to eat and what to do. And you can get a pretty good if you walk a few blocks away from the what we call the tourist trap line of T-shirt shops and jewelry stores. You can get a pretty great view of a really interesting town. We followed yeah. the crew. They had their day off or half day off while we were in port. And we just walked and followed them blocks away to a really nice place to eat that none of the tourists were in. Uh, and that seemed to be the solution. I also learned in Juno that uh, the bus driver there said, um, we're driving to an excursion, said, uh, look for the ping pong balls in the trees because those are the bald eagles. And I've, that has been my watchword ever since. And uh, <laughs> it's helped me spot a lot of bald eagles. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I hope someday to get up to see you actually in there, but I'll see you again in Seattle. And um, thank you so much for sharing your, your creative life together and separately. It's been such a delight to talk to you about this. Yeah, thanks for chatting with us. And, and uh, I'll give you the cheat code on the eagles here. Uh, oh, you yeah. Just go drive by the dump. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, That's always it. eagles at the dump. <laughs> uh, well, folks, you can find how to reach these fine people in the show notes. Uh, Marion Call and Pat Race, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks a lot, Glenn. So good to talk to you, Glenn. This has been The New Disruptors. The theme music is by Jeff Tolbert. Audio lives at SoundCloud and the site runs on Squarespace. This episode was hosted by me, Glenn Fleischman, and edited by Stephen Schapansky. You can help support this podcast and fund the production of more episodes by visiting newdisrupt.org support and find out about monthly and yearly membership options that include access to a private discussion forum for listeners, a fancy enamel pin, and being thanked on an episode. This episode copyright 2018, a periodical LLC. It's licensed under the Creative Commons by NCND 3.0 license. Feel free to distribute it intact and with attribution by linking back to newdisrupt.org. I only ask you don't offer it for sale. Please join us again next time. Thanks for listening.